Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. It is such a honor and a privilege to be with you all this morning. First, before I continue, I just want to introduce my wife, Dolores. Uh, Would you please stand and just give a quick wave to the Emmaus body of Christ. You would never know by looking at us, but she is older than I am. I married an older woman. And uh, I, I think, Brooks, you got it a little wrong. You said we had four kids. I think we have three, unless there was another one that I... Okay, four grandkids. <laughs> and uh, 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 so in any case, uh, we, are, we, have four, we have four grandkids, right? Did I get that right? Son-in-law. 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 Okay, all right. Sorry, four kids. He's right. There was one that I missed. <laughs> A son-in-law, I forgot about him, oh God. (laughs) So, four children and four grandchildren. Can you say amen? Amen. Uh, My uh, oldest grandson, when he was learning how to to talk, uh, you know how children are when they begin to talk, uh, they mispronounce their words. Well, Uh, Just in case if you were wondering, my grandfather name is not granddad, it's not Pop Pop or Poppy or anything like that. My granddad name is Super Dad. (laughs) Just because it was different, I selected my granddad name. So anyway, my my first, (laughs) yes I did, my first grandson, as he's learning how to talk, he could not say Super Dad. You know what he would call me? He would call me Super Bad. And I said, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. I will take super bad over any other granddaddy names that there are. So that's the one that uh, I I accepted. So I am, again, just so glad to be with you. Glad my wife was able to accompany me today. It's such an honor to have her with me. She's been by my side. How long have we been married? 36 years. Going on 36 years. Can you believe that? Can you believe that she's been married to me for 36 years? My goodness. My goodness. And I tell you, one day at a time, one step at a time, a one argument, one a wonderful conversation at a time, it's been wonderful. But as I come to you today, I uh, couldn't help but to think about all those who have mentored me in ministry. From Chuck Swindoll, Dwight Pentecost, Howard Hendricks, Tony Evans, Bishop Arthur Brazier from Chicago. You may not know who he is. They have all mentored me, sat down with me at one point or another in the course of my late ministry. You see, God, he called me initially to be just a musician. And in the midst of me having these plans. I had a plan that I had for my life. God called me into the midst of that fray into ministry. 
But I tell you, it's really nice being back in a real gathering with real people after these last year and a half. And while I know many of you have already returned to campus or maybe have been to campus all along, there's still no doubt there's a cloud of question in all of our minds hanging over our heads. At least mine is, will this virus ever stop? Will it be something else? Will it be around permanently? What's going on? As I know that uh, some of us, we have different views on the virus and uh, some of us taking certain steps to quell the pandemic, I still consider it another challenge in life for all of us. Why? Because you, me, and all the rest of the world, we all live in the real world. You know, I also teach at a university in Chicago. I teach music at a university in Chicago. In which some students and professors have gotten sick. Some have died. But as we know, even in death, it is not unique to an attack from COVID. Death is a real problem for the human race, regardless of what shape or form that it arrives at your or my doorstep. For some of you right now, COVID is the least of your worries. Whether it's cancer or diabetes, high blood pressure, or some other possibly life-altering health concern uh, that you may have to fight on a regular basis, these things, they all rise to the surface. But I also know that being younger, some of these concerns are less of a problem for you. But face it, it's a problem one way or another. Because if it's not a problem for you, it may be a problem for a spouse or parent or grandparent or child or someone that is immune compromised. So even though it may not be health for you, it could be an issue with financial aid. Been there, done that. Scholarships or GPA or the next exam. And then there is the enemy of that professor who, though they love Jesus with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all their strength, they grade like the devil. Today, we will take a brief journey in Psalm 31 where David first reminds us of the obvious, which is we live in a real world with real problems. The psalmist says, Psalm 31, verse 1, uh, verse 10, 31, verse 10. David says, For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whisperings of many, a terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. 
So as we see here in this psalm of lament, David is found disquieted about another crisis which has intersected his life. Keep on living, and crisis will always intersect your life. It will intersect your, your road of peace and serenity that you thought would be part of your existence. But in fact, if we continue to follow David, we know for a fact that uh, his soul is disquieted quite a bit. And while many of us are familiar with David's bout with sin, it is no less comforting to know that God forgave him. Knowing at the same time for David that there would be a price to pay. But what I want to speak to you about today in our passage is this constant move from orientation to disorientation and back to orientation or reorientation, this idea that we live life high and, 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 and ready to move and happy and content. And that one thing, that one thing, it just drops us down to the bottom. Right? When you thought that you were Firing on all cylinders when things were going well, it drives you to the bottom. And then you see the light again. You see that hope, Jesus Christ again, who has never left you, who has never forsaken you anyway, but yet within our hearts, we see him again shining brightly. These are the roller coaster events in life that are sometimes quite life altering. For instance, you know what you want in life and everything is heading in that direction. This is the orientation part. You know what God has called you to or maybe all you know is God wants you to be here at this college right now. Maybe he's just calling you today to be in this room or to hear my voice. Maybe that's it. The bottom line is that you feel the synergy, right? Or as we like to put it in Christendom, you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit empowering you, knocking down barriers so you can proclaim the kingdom of God with an anticipation of Christ's soon return. Again, this is orientation. This is that feel-good era. Some of you feel especially good because all of your needs are met. Your GPA is just in that right place. And by the way, while I'm thinking about your GPA, I, I recall uh, being in, in, in seminary and how my GPA was the most important thing in my life. I wanted to make sure that I was on the honor roll doing what I was supposed to do, right? And, and good grades are godly, aren't they? They give you a sense of peace. But then I recall in my heart right now how my youngest son, how he was struggling in math uh, to the point that he was failing math. And this was right at that point that I needed to do the most of my studying. And I couldn't because I had to go and help him in math. 
So I took an F so that my son could pass. Some of you say, well, why wasn't he? Well, he was, but he just wasn't getting it until I intervened. Orientation. But while you're running with all your gusto, you run, uh, you're running to that goal nonstop, full steam ahead. You run right into that brick wall, which delays or smashes your dreams. What happened? I mean, what happened? You thought uh, God was on your side uh, as even though your, your professors may give you more work than you can handle. But you thought things were good. God would give, not give me more than I can handle. This is disorientation uh, from the ungodly coursework to the friend you thought was a friend to an illness in your body or something going on back at home. Disorientation is dizzying. This is life's vertical, which is more than an inner ear problem, but an inner life problem. Yet you didn't cause it, and, and you didn't feed it, but yet here you are. Why, God? Why me? Sometimes we become so hurt that even... And the thing which raises up, raises us up, the word of God, even it at times becomes a challenge. And if you have not come to grips with that, it's time to come to grips with that today. Because sometimes even God's word Karutsan Talagan, preach the word. Sometimes God's word becomes a challenge. But then you find yourself back out of the storm. Hoping, oh God, I never dip that low again. You confess your sins, guard your heart, set watch over your eyes to make sure that disorientation never happens again because you were a good gal. You are a good guy anyway. Then you breathe that sigh of relief. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. This is that reorientation. So if you haven't been introduced to this structure or emotion, then, then welcome to it. This is certainly the life of David. If you ever studied Jeremiah the prophet, you will see it in his life big time. This is the roller coaster ride we call real life. We have traveled with David as he reveled in the fact that he could do all things through God who strengthens him. What do I mean by that? I recall his faithful proclamation of courage as he faced a lion, a bear, Goliath, and then countless enemies. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, uh, David says to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. So through this faithful action, through his faithful actions and words, what does David teach us to do? So what is it all about? He's simply saying this. Commit 
our lives. Commit your life into God's hand. Not fake, not phony, I recall, being in seminary, in fact. And one of my fellow students, we were in a place called Warwick Hall, and I remember speaking with him, and I saw him, I saw him from across the room, and I went charging to him. I asked him, what's wrong with you? He's like, what, what are you talking about? I said, there's something wrong. I said, there's something. I told him, there's something deeply wrong with you right now. He says, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, I said you can't fool me. You can't pretend. I know something is wrong. You have a, a, a deep problem right now. He said, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. I said, okay. I took a couple steps away. He grabbed me. He said, there is something wrong. And you know what he told me? This is what he told me. I don't believe any of this anymore. What? After we have learned to be world-class exegetes of God's word, studying Greek, studying Hebrew, uh, being replete in the theology with some of the best in the country, you come out of this not believing it? You see, at the end of the day, this is a knowledge. But it is about your relationship with God. So as I stood there and began to track with him, it became very obvious that he thought by all the doing that that would draw him closer to God. Who knows that in all you're doing, it never drove anyone closer to God. You see, God wants your heart. God wants your mind. God wants all of you. So David says here, Psalm 31, now verse 1, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame in your righteousness. Deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O God, O Lord, faithful God. So when the problems come, what do you do? What do we do? What do I do? We run for cover. Right now, millions of Ukrainians are looking for refuge because of the invasion of their country. What are they looking for? They're looking to get relief from the bombardments that constantly threaten their lives every single day. I can only imagine how immense the pressure must be for them. They can't go home. And neither are they heading towards home. They're heading away from home. They're totally disoriented and cut off for what once brought them a sense of peace in their lives. And that was a place to call home. In our passage here, verses 1 through 5, uh, three times we see the word, the word refuge. David is no stranger, again, to seeking refuge. And I'm sure many of you, uh, many of you are not or will not be a stranger of seeking refuge in your life either. Because guess what? You guys are just starting. You're just getting started. 
So getting refuge, seeking shelter in a time of storm is something we should all prepare for. I remember how people prepared for the end of the world during Y2K. I'm not sure if any of you were around during Y2K, new millennium. The world was going to end. Or I also recall in 1976, uh, there were musings about that the world was going to end at the bicentennial United States. Are you aware of that? 1976, they said the world was going to end. Y'all remember, though, how uh, people were buying out everything at the store because of not knowing the future of our nation these last two years, our world, because of this deadly pandemic, threatening all of us. And we all just wanted to run for cover and never come out again. But look at us now. Most of us, if not all of us, maskless. Refuge means to run for cover or to hide, but not in ways which reflect your own wisdom or intelligence. We run for cover to God. We must get to God. So totally trust Jesus Christ. Psalm 31 and 5. David says, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. David, after realizing there was nothing else for him to do to change his situation, relegated himself to fully trusting God. Amen? There's nowhere you can turn but turning to God. You can't hide. Uh, do you think that in the midst of all that's going on in the world that we can hide from death? Remember what Jesus said in Luke 23, 46. Calling out with a loud voice, he said, Father, what did he say? Into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So Jesus uses these same words that David did. But there's one fine point. Notice Psalm 31 says, into your hands, singular. But here in Luke, Jesus says, into your hands, Plural. Well, what gives? Is he quoting scripture? Is he adding his own thing? Well, Jesus is God after all. Can you say amen to that? Jesus is God. In the, old, uh, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it actually says hands there in Psalm 31. But I would like to think that whereas in the Old Testament that the right hand was seen, uh, of God was seen as that of power, of seen as righteousness, of seen as authority, God's right hand, you see it over and over again in the Old Testament, God's right hand or his hand. So in my sanctified imagination, I like to see that when God's hand is not seen as singular, but seen as plural, uh, that it's like the all-state man. You are in good hands. That in which God totally ensconces us. He totally wraps himself around us to protect us and to save us. And this brings us all back to that point of orientation, back to that place where we find hope, purpose, clear thinking, and the comfort of an anchor for our soul. Back to where we trust Jesus because he is the truth. His words are true and his comfort is real. Your problems are not a real problem for Jesus. 
Because in Jesus Christ, we have our foundation, our stability, and our anchor. Don't be moved by your circumstances. Totally trust in God. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for your love and your kindness and how you are calling us today to commit ourselves totally to you, to trust you with all that we have. None of us are exempt from the trials and the temptations of life. But yet we just trust in you in this moment. In fact, Lord, even under the sound of my voice, there may be someone that has not given their life to Jesus Christ. And if there is, we want to give them this opportunity to say, I want to trust Jesus totally, that I want to confess my sin before him, and I do it right now. I repent of all my sin right now. And then for the remainder of us, Lord, we give ourselves totally to you. Grant your people peace and strength, stability of life. That even, Lord God, when things get rough, we know that we are in good hands. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.